if you've been here since Easter uh, and you're like, man, we just keep going through Acts, is this what they do? Short answer is yes. Uh, we're just going to walk through books of the Bible uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is, the main one is, if you think of a church's Bible teaching kind of like a, uh, a meal with multiple courses, like a fancy meal, the kind that I don't really ever eat much, my meals are just usually one course. Um, there, but if you think of a church's teaching like the fancy meal, there's other courses, right? Uh, there's appetizers, there's salads, there's uh, dessert, uh, but there's always the main course. And so when you think of our Sunday morning sort of diet of teaching, the main course is just going to be let's work through a book of the Bible. And I've said this before, there's a few reasons for that. One is I feel like it kind of helps us as the people up here doing the preaching and teaching show you our work a little bit so that the goal being you learning how to do this yourself, you should grow in your ability to study the Bible that you could teach it to someone else. Uh, maybe not in this setting. I know it's a scary for some people, uh, but not for all of us. And so maybe not in this setting, but across from somebody at a table. Uh, and so I want to give you those tools. And then secondly, uh, we're going to see a little bit of this today. It's because we're going to run into things in the Bible that we wouldn't just choose to talk about. Uh, and that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to be taking this overview of 1023 to 1118. It's a lot of text. Uh, but just a quick review from last week from Stephen's uh, message. Did a great job. Go check that out on YouTube or on the church website. Uh, we've reached a point here where God is really about to sort of explode the gospel out to the Gentiles, uh, which is uh, really, really a big deal, right? Because in Acts, God has already been moving towards the Gentiles. This was always his thing. I mean, in the Abrahamic promise, he says all nations are going to be blessed. And so we're kind of getting to that point now. Uh, but uh, God's already been moving towards taking salvation through faith in Jesus beyond just being a Jewish sect. He is taking it now uh, through that vision that Peter had. We saw it last week. Peter talked about it just there in the text. This is a picture of God showing Peter that what he has made, uh, what the Jews consider to be un uh, unclean, God has made it clean. And, and not only is that good news because we can have pulled pork now, amen, but it's also good news because all of us can know God. And all of us in this room, assuming you're all Gentiles like me, would not be here knowing and loving Jesus had this moment and others like it happen. And so Peter sort of gives commentary on what the vision means in that text today, if you notice that. And so in last week's text, Peter has this vision, these animals that have been considered unclean coming down from heaven. God tells him, kill and eat. Reptiles even. So when I grew up in Florida, we had alligator and people ate it and it's fine according to the scriptures, right? And so Peter, as Peter does, argues with God a little bit. That's just Peter's thing. And then when he gets it, uh, today is sort of the continuation of that lesson. And so as we dive into the text for today, let me just rip this band-aid off at the beginning so that we can just talk about it uh, and say that one of the big issues that we deal with in this text is ethnocentric favoritism, okay? We might say racism, prejudice. Opie, you gave a little commentary on it when you were reading, right? And, and if we're honest, maybe the first time you read through this text, you reacted just like Opie did, right? Oh, wait, what? Uh, because um, what had happened is, like, like so many Jews in his day, Peter had bound all the peoples of the world except for his own race, into a category of kind of other, right? In our day and age, we talk about that. They, he othered them. He put them in a category of us and everybody else. 
And so there's us and there's them. And this is still an issue for humanity today, for sure. This is what we'll, we'll see. This. this is what James refers to in his epistle as the sin of partiality. This is one kind of the sin of partiality. But what God did was that he used a vision in Peter's life to bring radical change in the attitude of the leading apostle of the church in Jerusalem. And praise God that he did that, right? Because understand how big and important that is that Peter had this change of heart and change of mind. If this didn't happen, now God probably would have found another way, but let's play it out how, how it looks in the Bible. If this doesn't happen, Christianity is just reduced to still just being this narrow little sect of Judaism. And you and I would never have heard the good news. Now, for some reason, this particular sin is one in which we can often convince ourselves, this is a problem in our day and age, we often convince ourselves that if we were exercising the sin of partiality and ethnocentrism, racism, then we would absolutely see it. What, ra racism in me? No way, right? I am not that. But here's the thing, sin doesn't work like that. And I know that this is rubbing against us a little bit because of the way our culture talks about this, but hang with me. Sin doesn't work like that. It's insidious, right? We all know that I don't think, oh, I'm just out here trying to lie, but I lie sometimes. Why? Because it's there. And I wish it wasn't, but it was, and that's what confession is. And you can sin in a hundred ways that you don't, you don't even realize you're capable of, And so if we could always just see sin, if we could always just recognize sin and we could then just choose not to sin, we wouldn't need a savior. But that's kind of the whole point. We're unable to see the ways in which we are enslaved to sin. And so we need someone to come and rescue us from that. And this is just one of those examples. And so we can't see it. We can't free ourselves from it. So we needed a savior in Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, Jesus reveals to us primarily through the scriptures the ways that we are still caught up and enslaved by certain sins, right? Read through certain books of the Bible and you're like, oh man, that's me. I remember I was in a small group a few years ago and somebody in the small group said to me, man, I hate it how I feel like you're just preaching to me on Sunday. And I was like, I'm not. That's the Holy Spirit doing what he does through the Bible, Right? And so today's text is no different. And the fact that this is all in the Bible means that it's for us. That's what inspiration means. It's for us. And it applies to us, which means all of us have to deal with the sin of partiality. And in particular for today, the sin of partiality as it comes to us through ethnocentric favoritism. Favoriting your ethnic group. That's what, that's what we're seeing here. And let me also just say this. One of the absolute shortcomings of the secular culture that we are all being discipled by, if we're not staying aware of it, is that we live in a, in a culture where there is no path for redemption. There is a secular salvation schema that I could walk you through. There is a story of origin and creation, who you really are. Find that in yourself. There's a story of fall, right? But there's no story, no path for redemption. How do we talk about this in our culture away from what people think is away from religion, but actually is kind of its own religion? How, how do we talk about this? Now understand that in the secular vision of the world, we have all the trappings 
of this salvation story, religious salvation story, without the actual path for redemption. See, in this vision, there are some sins and there are some people who are certain kinds of sinners who can't ever come back from their sin. What do we call this? Getting canceled, right? That's how we talk about it. There are some sins and some people who our secular culture does not have a path to come back from. And so one of those secular cardinal sins is racism. That's the reality. That's the, like the worst thing you could call somebody right now. Oh, you're a racist. Right? And we all are like, whoa, 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 whoa. And so getting canceled for being a racist, you really can't, kind of can't come back from that. And so I believe... I believe this is why this is so touchy for us to talk about, because we're discipled into thinking, if I get called a racist, there's no path back from that. But church, that's not true for us, right? Racism is not the end-all, be-all sin. It's one, it is a sin. It is a wrong sin. It's the sin of partiality, but it's not like more powerful than the cross. It's not. Has it been the root of absolute atrocities? Absolutely, and we've dealt with that from this platform when it was outside under the tree during COVID, and if you've been around for a while, I hope that you know that I in no way would dismiss or minimize that. That's not the point. But we believe that there is no one beyond the cross. No one beyond the cross. And we believe that Jesus saves equally across the spectrum of sin, right? Yeah, if you're unsure, the answer is yes to that. That's what we believe. The deepest, darkest KKK sinner can be redeemed by Jesus which means he can redeem you and I as well. So that means if today's text leans on you a little bit and begins to call some things out in you that you feel are a little scary, like, "Uh uh-oh, I might have this sin of partiality in my life. I wish it wasn't there, but it seems like maybe it is there. That's called confession. Lean into that. Bring that to the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh Uh-oh, I might have a little racism in me. I didn't realize was there. Just breathe. It's okay. It happened to Peter. It can happen to us. No one is saying you're beyond redemption. No one is calling you a racist from the pulpit. But you might have some ethnocentric partiality going on that Jesus wants to set you free from. He wants to set you free from that. So let's learn from our friend and the apostle Peter. So Peter's attitude is really confronted in in a couple of ways. First, This racial prejudice that he displays, and second is just kind of your more average run-of-the-mill stubbornness, like doesn't want to change, right? I know that I like to change, but what I don't like to change is changing stuff. So I don't like to change either. That's just how, that's, we all struggle with change, okay? So again, put yourself in that moment that we just heard about at Simon the Tanner's house. Just as Peter's vision concludes, the three Gentile messengers from Cornelius, they come to the door Peter, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, invites them in and they spend the night. That's a big deal. To the, to the Jewish readers of this, they would have done what Opie did a little bit and went, wait, what? They spent the night? Them spending the night is a huge deal. As Peter himself said, it is against, as you know, it is unlawful, he says. It's against their law. And so this will no doubt cause some whispering among the community. And, and just so you know, As I was studying this week, I came to understand that actually it's not against the actual law in the Old Testament. It's against what had been developed as kind of their extra laws that Peter was living under in those days. Beyond just spending the night, Peter then agrees to go with the men to Caesarea and to share Christ with Cornelius. 
So, th- so this is a big deal. So if you got your Bible out, 10, I'm going to start just walking us through, and we're going to start in 23. It says this, the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Now, according to chapter 11, verse 12, a little bit later, six Christian brothers from Joppa accompanied Peter and his new friends. In his commentary on Acts, William Barclay said that this is because they and Peter, so six Jews who are Christians plus Peter, they make up seven witnesses, which just so happens to be the number of witnesses necessary to validate a legal case. So it's not an accident that seven people show up. So the, the party of 10 then, the seven that are with, the six that are with Peter plus Peter plus three more, they begin a 35-mile journey to Caesarea on the sea, which is the kind of full name of that city. And just imagine the conversations that are going on. What kind of conversations are happening there? Verse 24, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met with him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So Peter walks in and finds, oh, there's like a meeting happening. And it's to hear me. Now, Cornelius' response was astounding. Cornelius is a Gentile. The Greek word that gets translated as worshipped there is this Greek word proskuneo, uh, which means to kiss the hand towards. Imagine, uh, you know, I'm sure this is happening quite a bit in other parts of the world where a a royalty or a, a leader comes and they kiss the hand. Maybe in American culture, we reference it to like the mob, kiss the ring. It's that kind of thing. It's a show of deference and honor and respect. And so this leader, this is a centurion, right? In Roman culture, he is way above Peter, way above Peter. And so the leader of this oppressive military occupation force, right? That's who he is to Peter, falls at Peter's feet. This is the perfect opportunity for Peter and really even Cornelius here to put their old prejudices into high gear, right? Cornelius could have said, oh, good, You showed up because I called you because I'm Roman and you're just a little Jew. And Peter could have said, oh yeah, you should bow at my feet because we're better than you. But we see God at work. Look at the evidence of God's work in Peter's life in how him and Cornelius honor one another. We see Cornelius' response and now look at Peter. Peter lifts him up saying, no, 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 no. I'm just a man. I'm just a man. Which by the way, we never see Jesus doing because he's not just a man, he's God. So he does accept worship. But Peter says, no, 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 don't worship me. I, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm just a man, right? What is Peter? He's saying, hey, Cornelius, the ground is level at the cross. We're the same. So what we see is that Cornelius is so spiritually hungry that he puts away maybe any uh, feelings of eliteness that he might have towards Peter. And he reaches out to Peter. He doesn't command Peter to come to him, but he asks Peter. And when Peter arrives, we see Cornelius basically groveling before a Jew in front of his entire household. This is a big deal. All those who were gathered, right? It says, Peter went in and found many persons gathered and Cornelius does this act of putting himself in a position of deference and honor in front of all of them. He desperately, Cornelius desperately wants to hear the truth 
not only for himself, but also for his family and his friends. And I want to just take, I want to point out to you sort of the eschatological foreshadowing of this moment. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to see how this moment here is a shadow of what is coming in the kingdom of God. Well, what's, what's the kingdom of Jesus going to be like? See, Peter and Cornelius, by earthly standards, are enemies. They are enemies. They should have probably hated one another, but God deals with this in a stunning way because what God does in his kingdom, and I want you to hear this, what God does in his kingdom is he takes your enemies and he makes them your brothers and your sisters, and that's how he deals with your enemies. This is stunning. God takes enemies and makes them brothers. He takes enemies and puts us at a table together. And I hope you see this here, and I hope you feel the depth of the beauty and the majesty of God's ways. Oh, yes, God is going to deal with your enemies. Oh, he is going to deal with your enemies, but you know how he's going to do it? He's going to make you love them, and they're going to love you. And you're not going to have enemies anymore in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because your enemies are going to be your brothers. Your enemies are going to be transformed into family, and this is what we see here. Now, we see baby steps of relationship in this exchange between Peter and Cornelius, right? Peter speaks first, and he appears, it seems that he's a little uneasy. He's, he's uh, well, you guys know, it's a unlawful for me to be here, right? He, I can hear the unease in his voice. He's like, I think this is what God is doing. It seems odd to me, but I'm going to go with it. I'm following the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, he says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. You're right. Yikes. You yourselves know it is against the law for me to be near you and definitely to be your friend. Right? Yikes. But, one of the best phrases in the Bible, but God, has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. I should not other any person. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And look at how Peter is so in tune with what God is doing. God says jump and Peter doesn't even hesitate. He just says how high. Like, Peter knows God is calling for me to go to this place. I don't even know why I'm going, but I'm going. And Cornelius said, verse 28, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before the Lord. Therefore, send to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. This is a preacher's dream, this line right here. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, I, I still have, again, I, I have a hard time considering myself a preacher. feels weird, but I've been doing it for five years now, so I guess I, it's, it is, right? And so I read this, and, and as a preacher, again, I can't imagine a more amazing setting, like, 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 I know that when we gather here on Sunday, you're, all, you're here, you came back from last week and the week before that, which is kind of a miracle, right? You came back again, awesome. And so I know that the Holy Spirit is, is moving on us, but like, this is another level, right? You get invited somewhere you don't know and they're like, 
We're just here to hear whatever you have to say from God. Go ahead. Right? I mean, it's amazing. And so we see, apparently, Peter's prepared. I don't know if he has, like, notes or what, or the Holy Spirit's just going to move through him like the Holy Spirit does in Acts, but Peter's prepared, the people are prepared, and most importantly, again, the Holy Spirit is going to do what Holy Spirit does in this moment. And, And so this is a historic moment in the history of this thing we call the church, the Big C Global Church. This is the first sermon really delivered to a Gentile gathering. And so Peter's sermon is really a, it's a really concise summary. If you study it and you go back and look at uh, the sermon he gave at Pentecost and the one before the speech before the Sanhedrin in Acts 2 and 3, this is just a, a concise summary of that sort of apostolic teaching. He gives a brief introduction. He reviews Jesus' life in verse 38. He talks about his death in verse 39. He emphasizes the resurrection in verses 40 and 41. He talks about Jesus returning to judge the living and the dead. And we see that in our creeds. And we, he talks about Jesus' offer of salvation. And then Peter concludes the sermon with this statement in verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now hear that. Who receives forgiveness? Everyone who believes in his name. Not only Jews, not one specific ethnic group, but everyone. So understand the power of this for Peter as a Jew and for this room of non-Jews in terms of all of their ethnocentric ideas about how they think God works. Peter just shattered all of that. And now the Holy Spirit is going to do what he does. Look at verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still saying these things, he didn't even get to his last point. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. The the apostle Peter only spoke for maybe a few moments before this happens. We know this because in Acts 11.15, Peter is recounting this moment back to the church in Jerusalem. He tells them that when he began to speak, the Holy Spirit falls. And so Peter, he got the major points out. He got the main thing going. He mentioned some outstanding facts, and then he's interrupted by the working of the Holy Spirit. Maybe Peter had some kind of funny personal story to really wrap it up at the end, but he didn't get to it. Holy Spirit said, now I'm, I'm, now I'm doing it. And we'll, we'll just never know, because the Holy Spirit broke in and takes over, and Cornelius and his household What they heard was that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And they respond in faith. We don't have an altar call from Peter. We don't have an invitation. We don't have anyone singing just as I am. No one's saying the bus is awake. It just happens. If you've never been to youth camp, you don't know what that joke is. (laughs) They simply believe and they're born again on the spot. And Peter and his six friends are amazed that God gave these Romans, the Italian cohort, right? The ability to glorify him in the tongues, just as he had done for Jews at Pentecost. Make that connection. These Gentiles are exercising the same outward sign as the Jews did at Pentecost. 
It's just crucial for these Jews to understand that the Gentiles are now on equal ground with the Jews. This is the moment that we read about that Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility and made what used to be two people, one people. This is crucial for them and for us to understand. There's no denying it now. Seven witnesses, right, which makes it legal in court for them, had seen it, including an apostle, if you want to make it even better. And so Peter then declares, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Rhetorical question, answer, no, get the water. And he commands them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, understand the magnitude of this command for baptism. This is a huge marker that Peter sees these Gentiles as equal to him now, as Christians. He, he's had a shift take place in his heart. These Gentiles are now baptized into the same Jesus as Peter. We're equals now. They're equals in the gospel, and we then see them ask Peter to stay. We can assume this is an implied ask for some discipleship, some teaching, right? But it's also God's way of really sinking this into Peter's heart. Now, I, during this time with the Gentiles, he stays with them for some days. Peter really gets to see that they're just people like him. But all those things he had in his mind, oh, those people do this and they have this. And you know that stuff that we do about people that we've othered that we don't know and oh, they're kind of scary. All that melts away because of friendship now. Peter spends all this time with them. He sees that they feel just what he feels. They love Jesus like he does. They struggle with sin like Peter struggles. Nothing will help you get over viewing someone as other or like they're beneath you, like spending time with them. Have a meal. And so Peter's story takes 77 verses here to tell, and he repeats his vision twice. Why in those 77 verses would his vision need to be repeated twice? Because God want, wanted you to read about it. He wanted you to know about this. He wanted you to get this point that God had enlarged Peter's sort of vision for the gospel by reinforcing when he first gives Peter this, this vision of this food and how narrow uh, Peter's vision was of what God wanted to do. And now he, he enlarges Peter's vision for what God wants to do by giving him this ministry with the Gentiles. And so Peter, now he understands that Jesus is for everybody. That may just seem like a passing thing to us, but this is a big deal. Instead of seeing certain people as beyond the scope of Jesus' ability to save or that it's not for them, Peter is now optimistic about what the gospel can mean for all who believe. Maybe you've felt beyond the gospel before or you've felt like you're the outsider. You aren't. There's no outsiders or insiders in the kingdom of God. There's just those who believe. There's no one whose life God can't turn inside out by the power of the blood of Jesus. God will flip you upside down. Now, if this was a fairy tale, this was a Hollywood script, screen goes black, amazing, they're all living together, it's happy, right? Everything's perfect, all racism is just poof gone. But since this is a counting of real historical events in history with real flawed human beings who don't continue to walk perfectly, we know Peter's going to struggle with this again if you know your Bible. He's going to get called out for it. Since this is a real recounting of events in history, we have to keep going. 
But actually, I think keeping going makes it even sweeter because it makes it real for us, because this is how our life is. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, so again, this is the Christians back in Judea, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, now, we might say he went back to Jerusalem, but he says he went up to Jerusalem, and he doesn't mean direction. He just means that you go up because it's a place of honor. This is a way of talking about Jerusalem. So when Peter went back to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, now, we don't really get much explanation of what this is, but what we know is that this is apparently a little sect inside of the Christian church who is holding to a religious external marking as part of what you have to do to be saved. So they've become known as the circumcision party. And they criticized Peter saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, they have missed one of the most important implications of the gospel. Right? One of the most important implications of what the gospel of Jesus is. What is the gospel of Jesus? It's his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his power through the Holy Spirit in the church. All of that is part of the gospel because Jesus is king. But they missed one of the implications that he makes brothers and sisters out of what used to be enemies. Notice that these Jewish Christians, they're not unhappy because the Gentiles receive grace. Why are they unhappy? Because Peter associated with them. Right? So they're kind of like, well, I guess it's, that's cool that they get the gospel, Peter, but we ain't eating with them. We're not hanging out with them. Fine, they can have Jesus over there, but don't, don't bring them over here. Why are you hanging out with them? Now, Peter, having been changed into a more gracious man at this point in his life, he actually answers them really beautifully. We see his response in 4 to 18. And notice that when we get to verse 18, his response is so good and so well-received that it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They had nothing more to say about it. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, now what, what does this? What makes religious people change their mind? What produces a dynamic response like this? Well, Peter had an experience of the gospel of Jesus in his own life that began to change his long-held deeply rooted beliefs about what kind of people God can bring into his family. And you have those beliefs too. They may not be along the same lines as Peter, but we've all got them. We've got those ideas about, well, that person, they're never going to believe. You thought that? You're, you're just like Peter here. Our attitude towards those who don't know God is a convicting barometer of how well we are walking in the gospel. If you want a primer on this sort of reality, go read the book of Jonah. That's what the whole book is really about. It's this bad attitude that Jonah has towards those that he sees as sort of beneath God's work. And God's saying to him, Jonah, here's what I think of your elitism. Here's what I think of your prejudice. Here's what I think of your self-righteousness. And he sends them into the belly of a great fish. And so in Christ, church, there is no basis for 
discrimination, prejudice, partiality, what do you want, whatever you want to call it, there is no basis for any of that of any kind. Prejudice, elitism that lives in our hearts and maybe comes out of our lips even once in a while, that is like a cuss word for us as Christians. It's obscene, crazy. How could we think anyone is beneath us? Have you seen yourself? James says this, my brothers show no partiality. And that includes racial, ethnic, cultural, socioeconomic, whatever category you want to put there. James says, my brothers who used to be my enemies show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And I I have to confess to you, as I'm preparing this week, as I'm thinking about this this week, the Holy Spirit has just been, as he does, gently, sometimes with me, not so gently, reminding me of the ways that I have looked down my nose at those I have come across in my life that I deem as beneath me. I I confess it. That that happens in my heart. Like, like, Like they need to do a little extra work to get to the point where then I'll share the gospel with them so that then they might believe. They gotta come up to my standards. Wicked. Absolute wickedness in my heart. For me in particular, this week, as I thought about this and what this means, I think about the kids that have been in our home through foster care and the ways that I have judged their biological parents. Wickedness. Absolute wickedness in my own heart. And yet, I could give you 10 other examples, right? But what I want to leave you with is this reality. If God can save and use a guy like Peter... If God can save and use a person like me who has those kind of thoughts that scare me, right? You ever have those thoughts where you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It came from your wicked heart that you don't even understand. That's where it came from. If he can save and use me, and if God can save and use a person like you, he's inviting you like he invited Peter through the Holy Spirit's work to see that his vision for the world His vision for his coming kingdom is way, way, way bigger and more dynamic and more beautiful than yours is. And he's inviting you to come back to him again and again and come back again. You've strayed again, come back again to receive the forgiveness that you already have in Jesus. That's the gospel. You already have the forgiveness. Now come and receive it and walk in it and be set free from the ways that you practice partiality to then take that forgiveness to those who you thought would never receive it. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who you thought, no way they're a Christian, become a Christian, but it's pretty awesome. And the reality is, if you're a Christian, that's you. I'm the Christian that became a Christian in spite of church. I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school all my life. I know all the answers. I know the book, inside and out, great but I was using that as my way to not need Jesus. And God rescued me out of that. And so he's inviting you again and again to come back to him over and over. This is the life of Christian faith in Jesus. It's just coming back to Jesus over and over so that we can then go and take that forgiveness out to people who we thought would never, ever, ever want to receive it like Peter does with the Gentiles here. Let's pray. 
Jesus, I ask that uh, as awkward as this topic can be for us sometimes, because of how hot of an issue this is in our day and age, I just pray that we as Christians would be a, a, a non-anxious presence in the world who are able to say, yeah, racism, it exists in my heart, and it surprises me. I don't even want it there. And there it is. So Jesus, would you take it from me? Jesus, would you put us in natural, organic ways, not forced ways, but would you put us around people who are different than us? Would you give us friendships with people who have wildly different backgrounds than us, who love you, so that we can see, wow, Jesus, your gospel transcends everything. And so, Father, we ask that this would be for your glory. Holy Spirit, we invite you to empower us. Would you allow us to have those moments where we say, I have no idea how I'm being as patient as I am right now or as loving as I am right now or as forgiving as I am right now and to only be able to say, it's the Holy Spirit's work in me, sanctifying me, making me who I actually am in you. And so we ask you to do that. We ask for little visions of your kingdom even now as we look for your kingdom to come, Jesus, when we know that you'll return and all of this stuff. All of these words of instruction and, and guidance and correction, all of this stuff will be unnecessary in that kingdom because we'll know and love you and we'll see you unhindered. Would you help us to see the image of God in each and every person that we encounter? And would you help us to see that they can be our brothers and sisters as well? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.